And I'm Sophie. And welcome to the Keeping Tabs podcast hosted by the Princeton Public Library's Teen Advisory Board. We interview authors to learn more about the writing process. Hi guys, for today's episode, we are here with Gloria Chow, the critically acclaimed author of American Panda, Our Wayward Fate, Rent a Boyfriend, and the upcoming novel, When You Wish Upon a Lantern, which is set to be released on February 14th, 2023. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course, this is so exciting and so much fun. We're super, super excited to have you here today. Um, and I know I got all of your books recommended to me by Lily, who always professes how big of a fan she is. So it's really a pleasure to speak with you in person. And I'm just going to start things off. Um, and we're really wondering why you chose to write your young adult books where the main characters are in college or at the college age. And this is one of our favorite elements of your books, by the way, because it's, you know, it's not very often that you see in YA characters who are 18, 19, instead of, you know, the 15, 16, 17 range. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so my first novel, American Panda, is about a Taiwanese American girl whose parents want her to become a doctor, but she hates germs. So this was inspired by my own life. And um, I used to be a dentist. I had a really hard time with it. And when I switched to uh, writing, my parents actually had a very hard time with it. And so I wrote the book during that time when you know I was struggling uh, with the, basically the same struggles that May was going through. And I knew that this book had to take place in college because the main character, May, is struggling with the fact that the path that she wants is different than what her parents want for her. And so if it happened when it was younger, you know, the, um, the concern of what her career would be wouldn't be quite as imminent and it wouldn't lead for them, lead to them having to confront their differing opinions, you know, at that time. Similarly for Rent a Boyfriend, this book is inspired by a real practice that happens in some Asian countries where women sometimes feel so much pressure to bring home the perfect boyfriend that they hire a fake one. This has become so prevalent that there are companies that specialize in this. So I brought that tradition here to America. The main character hires a fake boyfriend from a company called Rent for Your Rents. And she falls for the real guy behind the role, which is a problem since she has already introduced him to her parents as somebody else. So the characters in this book are actually 19 and 21. And the reason for that is because they have to be older to be thinking about relationships this seriously. The protagonist ends up hiring the fake boyfriend because her parents are pressuring her to be with someone else, which would only make sense if she's older than high school age. So overall for me, I tend to come up with the hook of the book first, and then I figure out, you know, what is the best setting, what are the best ages for this story. But I think a reason that I keep writing coming of age stories set during the college years is because for me, I had a very sheltered upbringing and I didn't feel like I, you know, came of age until I left home. I went to college, you know, I moved out of my parents' house. So for me, that was kind of naturally the age range that I gravitated to. And it wasn't until after writing these stories that I've heard, you know, from plenty of readers and learned that, you know, there are a lot of others who are in a similar boat. So, you know, I think it's important that we have this representation. And unfortunately, when I was writing American Panda, there were very few college books out there. I mean, there still aren't that many, but um, when I was um, submitting this book, 
you know, there were so few that it made it very difficult to publish. And I still feel lucky today that I found an editor and a publish who, publisher who understood that May's journey, you know, had to be in college. Um, and since then, I have heard from a lot of readers and teachers and librarians that a lot of readers tend to like to read older. So I really feel like it makes sense to have these, you know, young adult books that still take place after high school, you know, those later years. And we still have so much room for so many more, you know, experiences to be represented in this literature. Totally. I completely agree with you. And I think that as a reader, I struggle with reading books about characters who are younger than me because I feel like I've missed out on part of my life that these characters are experiencing. And, and almost like reading these books about older people makes me feel like, oh, okay, it's okay that I'm not there yet. And I have like space to, space to grow, you know? Definitely. I, yeah, that makes sense. That also, while you were talking, I was talking to my brother about your books a couple of days ago, and I was talking about how readers read up, but I feel like 17 year olds can either read books about 30 year olds or read books about 16 year olds. And I love your books because they're marketed to a teen audience. And it's kind of like giving them a glimpse of what their future could be if they have, you know, really cute boys in it, especially. <laughs> um, I was wondering, did you ever think about marketing your books for like a new adult audience? Um, I'm not exactly sure when that genre kind of arose. So it might have been 2018 might have been before the new adult genre, but did you think, I definitely want this book to be geared towards teens from the onset? That's a great question. So I was writing this book and sending it to agents and editors back in 2016, and that was when new adult had kind of popped up, people were excited about it, but then it kind of fizzled and it became, you know, something else It wasn't quite the coming of age of that um, age group, you know, of older than high school. And it, when I was sending the book out, a lot of agents and editors were already saying, you know, we don't know what to do with this. And there weren't that many books coming out that were labeled as new adult. I actually did try querying the book as new adult, and it didn't do that well. Um, American Panda went through a lot. So the first iteration of the book, she was actually older. May was 21. She was graduating from MIT and applying to dental, or sorry, applying to medical schools. I said dental because that was my route. <laughs> um, so she was applying to medical schools. And I actually even tried it as women's fiction because I thought, you know, oh, maybe this is adult since it doesn't quite fit in YA. But everyone said that didn't fit there either because women's fiction tends to be older protagonists, like you just said. And so I rewrote the book three different times for three different age categories. And one of them was new adult. And I just couldn't get, you know, agents to get on board with it. They, they all just said they didn't know what to do with it. And it wasn't until I wrote May to be 17. So she still is actually, you know, younger than most um, protagonist, most people entering co college. Um, but I made her 17. She's a freshman in college. And that was the first time that it actually felt more right. I was like, oh, this makes sense. It's coming of age, you know, I can make this work. And that was the first time that agents finally were more on board with it. Although definitely it still was a struggle because at the time, as soon as they saw college, a lot of them were like publishers, you know, aren't buying that. I think it's gotten a little bit better where there's some more college stories, but I do think it still is a little bit of a hurdle. And, you know, we still don't have, a ton of them out there. I feel like it's just a handful. 
Yes, I agree. And I, I personally would read all of the iterations of American Panda, but I'm glad you settled on me being 17. So I don't have to read, you know, three of the same book, but yes. Our next question for you is that another beautiful aspect of your books is that your characters, especially your heroines, develop so much over the course of their stories. And it feels really natural and organic, even though they're making these kind of drastic shifts in their lives and their outlook. So how do you write fundamental character development in an organic way? Thank you so much. That, that means a lot. Um, I do take a lot from my own life you know, or the experiences of friends and families for my um, characters. And a lot of times, you know, a lot my characters are going through a struggle or, you know, dealing with a question that I'm dealing with. And the way I try to approach it is my one goal is to write about it as honestly as I can. Sometimes I go in and I know where I want their journey to go. And other times, you know, I'm still kind of figuring out the same struggle for myself, you know, and, and writing is a way for me to kind of try to see it from different perspectives and work through some of my own questions. Uh, I certainly was figuring out May as I wrote American Panda and some of the real life conversations I ended up having with my mom during that time actually made it into the book. And in fact, writing that book forced me to have a lot of difficult but honest conversations with my mom. You know, I was trying to write her side of the story and I realized that there was a lot I just didn't know. And so for the sake of the book, you know, I made myself ask her a lot of difficult questions. And in doing that, you know, it really helped us figure out how to communicate better and it ended up improving our relationship. So a lot of the realizations that May has toward the end of the book are all realizations that I had myself sometimes in real time, you know, while writing that book. And same with Chloe from Rent a Boyfriend. You know, she struggles a lot with her identity. She's balancing not being American enough, but also not Taiwanese enough. And she has these two sides and she struggles with how do I chase my own dreams while also respecting my parents? These are all things that I personally went through and, you know, I'm still continuing to go through. And so I, I just try to draw as much as I can from my own experiences to try to make it feel as authentic as I can. That definitely shines through in your books. All of the dialogue, especially between your main characters and their parents, is so natural. And I love the way that they communicate so openly, especially towards like the end of the books. Um, it's just really heartwarming to see um, the characters open up and see each other's perspectives. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely for my, my family and I, it took us a while to get to that point. So that's why it's at the end of the books. <laughs> Yeah, and going off of a general question about characters, we're really interested in the idea that the romance in your books is so strong and each character has a different outlook on um, their life and their romantic counterpart, yet their differences are part of what makes them a great match for each other. And we're wondering how you write romances where the characters have such compatible differences, you know? Thank you so much. I, I love writing romance and, um, you know, I try to create characters that bring out the best in each other. And part of the reason is because I feel lucky that, you know, I've found a wonderful support system in my husband. And so when I write romance, I try to capture the little pieces of what I love most about, you know, our relationship in my books. Um, so one of those things that he has given me is a very different but much needed perspective on a lot of things. And so I always try to write love interests that really challenge each other, you know, they bring out the best in one another. And as an example, in Rent a Boyfriend, um, it's a dual point of view story, meaning you hear from both Chloe and Drew's perspectives. 
um, with Drew being the fake boyfriend that Chloe hires. And Chloe's parents want her to be with their, you know, tight-knit community's flagship bachelors. He's actually this terrible person, uh, but her parents unfortunately don't realize it. And when Chloe can't um, seem to make her parents um, see this bachelor for who he really is, she decides to hire Drew. By doing this, you know, she's actually fighting for a life that she wants, but she's simultaneously trying to maintain her relationship with her parents. Drew, on the other hand, ha um, has dropped out of college to pursue painting. And as a result, he was cut out by his family. So he becomes a hired boyfriend to make ends meet while he tries to pursue art. And he's you know, completely on his own. He's alone. So in some ways, Drew is further along in this, in this journey than Chloe. And so they, they end up being able to offer each other very different perspectives on a very similar issue. And Chloe actually feels like she's a complete mess, but Drew sees her, you know, as someone who's confident and strong-willed and she's very kind, you know, she puts her parents' feelings above her own. And he's the only one who ends up telling her that, you know, what she wants matters too. So they both give each other a different perspective and they help each other get to this, you know, healthier, better place over the course of the book. And I feel like that's one of the most important parts of a good relationship is this ability to help each other grow and to help the other person become better. Um, on, on a slightly separate note, uh, one fun thing that I like to do to develop the romantic relationships in my books is I really like to write inside jokes that develop over the course story. And my hope is you know, that it, it also helps the reader feel like they're in on the joke too. In Rent a Boyfriend, the book jumps from holiday to holiday. So, you know, we start with Thanksgiving, then we jump to Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day. And in between these holidays, Chloe and Drew keep in touch through texting. And the reader sees the text in the book. And it's where their inside jokes are developing in real time. So as an example, Chloe tells Drew, you know, I have a hard time falling asleep at night. And Drew tells her that his trick is he counts sheep dressed in elaborate pajamas and costumes. And the sheep, you know, becomes a running joke throughout the book. And so I'm hoping that because they're being created in real time, the reader kind of feels like they're in on the joke too. Because I feel like that's a big part of the romantic relationship. It's just having this history, having, you know, these shared things that you can laugh about, even if, you know, they may not be funny to someone else. It's just funny to you. Yes, I love that. One of my least favorite things in romances is when they kind of already say these characters have a friendship or have a relationship, but it happened off the page, but you do such a good job of like building the relationship on the page. So that's just like A plus. <laughs> I love that about you. So much. Thank you. Of course. Building off of the last question, the people your heroines meet tend to influence their growth as a character. So do you specifically write characters to kind of be a foil to your heroines? Like you were talking about Chloe and Drew having different outlooks on life, or do you find that those dynamics come about spontaneously? That's a great question. Uh, my, my characters tend to come about organically from the plot. Usually I'll work to have their voice and a limited backstory in place before I really start to dive into the meat of the story. And then from there, I'll develop it further with the protagonist's journey in mind. And you know, I try to I try to basically steer them both in a way that they'll be able to help each other grow. So with Chloe and Drew, you know, I came up with their backstories first, and then basically all the pieces were there. 
you know, and it was just about finding a way to enhance them and write it in a way that it's, you know, very clear how they affect one another. And part of the revision process is sometimes, you know, finding the best way to make it clear without just telling the reader, like finding little ways and examples to kind of show, you know, how they're helping each other. Um, and just to expand a little bit, it's really about balancing the compatible differences with commonalities. So there's a lot that also brings the characters together as well. So for example, in our Wayward Fate, um, Ollie and Chase are the two um, love interests. They're drawn to each other because they share a sense of humor. Chase ends up being the first person that Ollie has met who understands a lot of the struggles that she's gone through as the only Asian in an all white town. But at the same time, there are these differences. So Chase fights back and Ollie's coping mechanism was she tries to disappear and blend in. Um, but because of that difference, you know, Chase really challenges her. But first, you know, they really bond over the shared experience. Um, same thing with, with friendships also that I write. You know, I tend to like to, to write characters that really challenge the protagonist. And again, you know, it's about balancing similarities with the differences. You know, you want to write a character who can challenge the protagonist and help them grow, but they also need to be there for them when needed. Yes, you maintain that balance very well. I talk a lot about the differences, but it's true that the foundation of the relationship is that they're like drawn together because they share a lot in common. And you do a great job writing that as well. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I all I can do is add to Lily's applause, um, especially when it comes to the humor. We've, you know, we've, it's very obvious that your books are in some points meant to be funny. and. We're really curious how you manage to balance some of the more serious conflicts in your books because there are plenty with moments of lightheartedness in a way that feels, you know, like a life, like it's natural. Thank you so much. I I don't generally think of myself as a funny person, so I really appreciate um, you saying that um, that you get the humor that I was trying to write in the book. Um, so. Personally, you know, I love reading books that have humor. I think when you balance humor with serious topics, it actually makes the serious parts land even better. So that's why I set out to do that in my own work. Um, so that is kind of the main reason that I write it. Another is that I kind of, I just don't know how to write without it really. In my real life, you know, this is how I try to handle difficult situations. You know, sometimes if you can look at something with humor, it, it helps you be able to process it a little bit better. And so I always try to give that trait to my characters. You know, they do go through some difficult experiences, but, you know, being able to view it as, you know, with humor, even if it's after the fact, does help a lot. And so I'm hoping that by giving it to my characters, I can also give it to some of my readers. Um, the other reason is it also just keeps me entertained while I'm writing. You know, sometimes it's a little scary. You don't know if the jokes that you're writing, you know, other people will get or will appreciate. But, you know, when, I, when I'm writing that first draft, I try to not think about other people. And I'm in, in a lot of ways, I'm just writing for myself. Um, and just, at the end of the day, really, it, it just comes out. So in American Panda, you know, May's mom, the character came to me almost fully formed. And so, you know, it just makes sense to me. Of course, she was leaving voicemails for May between every chapter, you know, and, and of course she was feeding May papaya because she thought it would make her boobs grow, you know, like those are the things that I grew up with. And so when I was trying to capture this experience of what it's like to grow up as a Taiwanese American, those were just naturally a part of my um, experience. And because, you know, these are all things that may or not may not be things that my family has said to me. <laughs> 
I think especially what you said about the humor making your serious moments land more. I definitely get that. I'll be laughing out loud and then I'll be like, oh, oh dear, that was, that, that, that hit a little bit too hard, but in a good way, in a good way always. But um, yeah, that was very apt and like on the nose when you said that. Something else I love about the romances in your books is that they are paced so well. I feel like the characters get together at the perfect time. I'm not waiting too long. It doesn't happen too quickly. So how do you plot your romances so that readers like swoon when the main characters get together? Or at least I swoon, definitely. Thank you. That's such a lovely thing to say. And as a reader who loves romance, that means a lot. In general, I focus on building up the character's connection in the ways that we previously talked about. A lot of it is kind of just a gut feeling, you know, when the timing is right, but I don't always get it right in my first drafts. So um, here's a little bit of a fun story. My most trusted beta reader, um, that's what writers call, you know, people that we ask to read our first drafts and give us feedback. Um, so my most trusted beta reader is my husband. He reads so many iterations of all my books that um, I really appreciate and he gives me very good feedback. And one time recently, he was reading an early draft of When You Wish Upon a Lantern, my book that's coming out um, in 2023. And when he got to one scene, he started freaking out, <laughs> which is very out of character for him. And he started, he was freaking out because the characters didn't kiss in it. And he was like, this is when it needs to happen. <laughs> And at first I was a little bit resistant, but with a little bit of distance, I realized he was absolutely right. That was the perfect time. Um, so, you know, sometimes I need a little bit of help from my, my love interest. I think that might be the cutest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, are you living in one of your books? Because that is like, so Like, you exist cute. in a rom-com. Like, I think, like, is your life a rom-com? Because, like, are you kidding? <laughs> The, the less dramatic moments, I'll say, I, I feel very lucky to have, but, you know, we don't have some of the more, uh, we, we actually have the romance without a lot of the conflict, which is nice, you know, we don't have all the, the, the act three, you know, the end of act two big dramatic moments. That's good. <laughs> Our first kiss actually was outside and it did start to rain and, and I, but, but I ruined it because I stopped it to say, um, oh, this is just like in a movie. And then I realized like, oh no, I just ruined the moment. No, you didn't ruin the moment. You're like the quirky rom-com heroine. Oh my god! Like you're like completely self-aware. It's okay because you're self-aware. Exactly. That's true. Most of my characters are like that too, actually. Yes. <laughs> One day you'll wake up and your face will be on the cover of a book. You'll be like, oh, I guess this is my life now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cute. <laughs> So Our Wayward Fate is a historical plotline, switching gears. Um, and from what I understand, the main characters are in high school instead of college. And this makes it a little different than American Panda and Rent a Boyfriend, where the plot lines are set solely in modern day and the characters are in college. How did the writing process for your new novel compare to the ones that you have written in years past? This is such a great question. And funnily enough, I recently realized that my books have alternated. So they went college, high school, college, high school. Um, so Our Wayward Fate definitely felt ambitious when I set out to write it. It's about a teen named Ollie. She's growing up in a small town in Indiana. And when another Chinese boy moves to town, her mother forbids them from being together. She doesn't explain why. And when Ollie starts digging, she unearths all these dark family secrets. 
Meanwhile, there's a historical retelling of one of China's great, four great folktales. Um, and the one that I wrote about is The Butterfly Lovers. And when these two narratives meet up, the answers to the mysteries um, come to light. So it's definitely very different than my other books for a lot of reasons. There's the historical narrative, there's a mystery, um, the two you know, dual timelines meet up to solve that mystery. And another reason, that it was different is it actually was the first book that I sold on proposal and that I drafted on deadline. So what that means is I sent just a few chapters and a synopsis to my editor, she bought it, and then I had a deadline for when the full book was due. So this book definitely took some trial and error to write. You know, I it, it took a lot of trying things out just to get it to the way that I wanted it, that I had in my head. Um, and it definitely was more so than a lot of um, the other books that I've written. But I, I really love giving myself a little bit of a challenge with, with each book. You know, it keeps it very interesting. And, it, and you know, I, I set out to write the best book that I can for the story that I have in mind. So every book usually has something like with Rent a Boyfriend, you know, I was figuring out the best way to use the dual point of views. That was my first book that had that. Um, so, you know, I always like having a little challenge, but because Our Wayward Fate was one of the bigger challenges I set out to tackle, it definitely will always hold a special place in my heart because of it. Yes, I was reading so many Goodreads reviews that were saying I loved American Panda and Our Wayward Fate was like equally as amazing or even more amazing to me because it was more serious, but also just it had like a je ne sais quoi that was <laughs> like really unique. So I know a lot of readers like absolutely adored it just as much as American Panda. Thank you. Of course. Another main theme in your books, especially American Panda and Rental Boyfriend, is dreams and aspirations. May, an American Panda, wants to be a dancer, um, but her parents want her to be a dentist. And Drew, in Rental Boyfriend, has sacrificed a lot, like his relationship with his family, to pursue his dream of being an artist. Did the fact that these characters were motivated to pursue their creativity influence the way you wrote them in comparison to your other characters who were not as creative? Yes, definitely. This is a really great question. I drew heavily from my own experiences for May and Drew's characters, and they're the ones that are the most like me out of all the ones that I've written. So both, like you said, both of them have a passion for the creative and their parents have a different path in mind for their life. So I'm very drawn to writing about this, and it's not just because I've gone through it, but it's a very difficult situation. You know, it's not black and white. There isn't an easy solution. And for me, you know, my parents were really worried about my finances and my future as a writer, which honestly is fair. You know, writing is a very difficult industry. And so in some ways I understood where they were coming from. And I think that's why I'm so interested in writing about it because, you know, it's such a difficult situation to, you know, try to figure out how you're going to move forward together. Um, you know, I understood where they were coming from, but at the same time, I had given dentistry five years of my life, and I, I knew that I couldn't do it, but I didn't know how to make them understand that. So I wrote these books, you know, partly for myself to work through a lot of the things that I was going through, um, but I also was just hoping to help other people feel less alone. It really is such a universal experience to, you know, have any struggle with loved ones, right? Lots of people don't see eye to eye with their parents and 
you know, it may not be career, it might be relationships, it might be other big life decisions, but these are always very tough situations where, you know, it's, it's difficult to go through. And, and sometimes I think it helps just to know, oh, I'm not the only one that's gone through this. Other people are going through it too. And, you know, that in itself, even if there isn't a solution for you, just knowing, oh, it's, it's universal, you know, that has a lot of power and that can help you, you know, move past some of the things. So, you know, I always joke that with Rent a Boyfriend, I set out to write a very fluffy rom-com, you know, and then, you know, I ended up writing Drew being cut off from his family. And a lot of the things that the family says to him in the book are actually things that I heard. And so, you know, I was writing this supposed fluffy rom-com and there were days that I was at my computer and I was really struggling and I was facing some of my own demons. And, you know, I always joke with my husband, like, do you think other authors set out to write these fluffy books and then end up, you know, crying in front of their screen? Um, but I'm really glad that I, I wrote that in because I think, you know, balancing the joy and the happy parts with these serious real struggles, you know, they really enhance each other. Um, at the end of the day, that's just how life is. There will always be tough parts, unfortunately, but, you know, you also appreciate the good more because the bad exists. Definitely. I think reading your books, I, it's very hard to hear that some of the things that Drew heard were things that you heard because I was over here empathizing with Drew the whole time I was reading Rental Boyfriends. And um, I do think you execute perfectly, like showing the how your main characters feel kind of confined by their parents' expectations. But then you can also see how like love is kind of the center of everything. Like the parents love the main character. That's why they want these things for them. But the main character knows that that wouldn't make them happy. So like you just do a perfect job of executing everybody's kind of motivations and their wants and um, just giving everyone like an empathetic kind of lens to see things through. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that because that is such an important part when I'm when I'm setting out to write and it does sometimes feel a little bit daunting but it always was confusing for me before I wrote these books that you know there's this tiger mom stereotype right and I, I I don't even like that phrase but the confusing part for me was it's a stereotype but it, my family fit that stereotype and I didn't really know how to grapple with that you know with these two sides of it and it bothered and I realized that it bothered me because it wasn't as black and white as everybody else made it out to be people would criticize it, but they didn't actually understand it. And so when I write these books, I try to be very honest. You know, I try to write all the sides, like you mentioned, and I work very hard to show that it is from a place of love. I'm not saying that it makes it okay, but I just want it to be understood, you know, why the family is doing this and why it's so difficult because if it is coming from a place of love, it doesn't make it okay, but it also makes it harder for the protagonist to know how to deal with that, you know? And that was exactly what I went through. I understood why my parents had a hard time with, you know, my switching careers, but at the same time, you know, I, I had to figure out how to move forward from that. Um, so thank you for saying that because that's important to me. I feel like that's kind of the best way we can deal with these stereotypes is to make people understand it's not just a stereotype, right? Um, it is, way more complex than everybody else talks about it. There are all these layers. And I think it's really hard for people to understand these layers, but books are such a great way to do that. You know, you have the space um, and the ability to really show people what the experience is like. Definitely. When I was reading Rental Boyfriend, I'd be reading Chloe's chapter where she's 
saying she can understand her mom and she loves her mom. And then her mom would turn around and say something that made it clear her mom hadn't been listening to her. So you could feel kind of all the emotions along with her. Um, yeah, it was very powerful. On a more positive note, I'm so, so excited to read When You Wish Upon a Lantern when it comes out. In When You Wish Upon a Lantern, the main characters were childhood friends, and it looks like they might turn out to be more than friends. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering, how does writing a story where the love interests already know each other um, compared to writing one where the characters meet on the page? Because I believe all your other books so far have had like that on-page meeting and relationship development. This is such a fantastic and smart question. And I have to just say, I'm so impressed that you thought of it and asked it because I hadn't really thought about it before I wrote it. And the only reason I thought about it is because, you know, I, I've had this experience. So thank you for this fantastic question. Um, I didn't realize before I wrote When You Wish Upon a Lantern that it's exactly how you said. All of my books have the characters meeting on the page. So everything develops from that point, you know, their friendship and then moving on from friendship. And when I started writing When You Wish Upon a Lantern, their childhood best friends. And suddenly I just felt like I had all this freedom. There was this, you know, long shared history between the main characters that happened off the page that I could just draw from. And in some ways I was like, oh, this is so easy. Like I want all my other books to have this because it's just so much, you know, there's so much you can, you can take from um, to write it. You know, it's not all confined to having happened on the page. Um, so I actually especially loved that they weren't just friends before, but were childhood friends. So there was a lot of cute things that I could bring in from when they were very small. Um, for example, so Leah, the main girl, her family owns a wishing lantern shop and it's next door to the, her love interest, Kai, um, his family's bakery. And there's this shared window that um, they can see each other through um, from their respective businesses. And so as kids, you know, they would charade to each other throughout the day and send each other messages. Um, and this is inspired by the fact that my husband and I really love charades. <laughs> I am, I'm so excited. I don't want to wait until February 14th when you said that my heart is like opening up as if I'm one of the characters. Like, this is so cute. I don't, I don't like know how to emphasize enough that this is like arguably like my favorite trope ever. Like you have enemies to lovers, great. You have friends to lovers, but childhood best friends, that's the one. Like the love Rosie type of thing, you know, like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Wow. Can you tell us anything else about When You Wish Upon a Lantern or any other new projects that you might be working on? Yes. I'd love to share more about um, When You Wish Upon a Lantern. I'm going to share some things I haven't shared anywhere else yet because there's, there's actually not a lot out about the book yet. <laughs> um, so the overall premise is that, um, so Leah's family owns a wishing lantern shop. This takes place in Chicago's Chinatown. When she finds out that the shop is actually struggling, she teams up with Kai to secretly make wishes come true for their customers. So when I, when I set out to write this book, my goal was I wanted to try to write a contemporary book that feels like magic, but the magic is actually coming from these kind acts that they're doing for other people. So this book is kind of all of the things that I love, you know, it's a love letter to my culture. It has all my favorite holidays, traditions, food, folk tales. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's actually a little bit of a love letter to my husband. Um, so this book has 
the most of our inside jokes in it. I always put a little bit in some of them, but this one has a lot. You know, there are some things that I wrote and I was hoping like, I hope readers will appreciate this too because I feel like I actually wrote it for him. Um, and I actually also wrote this book when he was working at the desk next to me um, during the pandemic. So that was a, a bit of a silver lining during a very tough time for everyone. Um, so here's the tidbit that I haven't shared anywhere else. So one of my favorite wishes that Lee and Kai come together to try to fulfill is they try to set up two elders from their community that have crushes on each other. So I really worked hard to try to bring the Chinatown community to life in these pages. So there's a huge cast. Um, I tried to write a lot of fun, you know, hopefully memorable stores and restaurants. Um, and I really wanted the reader to feel like they're just, they're a part of this really loving, beautiful community. Um, and overall with this book, I just, I wanted to write a feel good book that reminds everyone that there can be magic in this world. I wrote it at a time where I really needed that reminder. And so, you know, I really hope that that, that goal comes across. That is absolutely beautiful. I am so excited to read this book. I already was, but now I, I didn't think I could get more excited. And now I'm up here. Now I'm, I'm so excited. And I really, I want this book to be a movie. I think I read in the acknowledgement pages of one of your books, you have a film agent. So I hope that When You Wish Upon a Lantern becomes a movie because it's the big cast. I, now I want to see it on the screen. Have I read the book? No. Do I know it's going to be incredible? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And good eye. I'm very impressed. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I do my research, especially for authors who like I absolutely adore. So everyone. <laughs> well, I think that's all the questions that we have for you. So thank you so much. This was a treat. This was a delight. Yeah. Thank you. Oh it was lovely God. to meet you. Thank yes. you so much. This was really wonderful. Thank you. I love being a part of this. I love your podcast. I love how your passion comes through. I really enjoyed listening to the previous episode. So thank you for reaching out and having me be a part of it. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to like say your social media or anything before we go? Oh, um, so you can find me online. My website is gloriachow.wordpress.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Gloria C. Chow, spelled C-H-A-O. And I love hearing from readers, so please reach out. That concludes today's interview with Gloria Chow. It was an absolute delight to hear her talk about how she writes realistic dialogue in a way that makes her character relationships feel even more authentic. I loved hearing about how she plots her romances and how her husband helped her to find the perfect moment for the main characters to get together in When You Wish Upon a Lantern. It was also incredibly powerful to hear about how she writes about the experiences of young adults who feel pressure from their parents in a way that shows where the character's parents are coming from and really details the nuance of that conflict. I am so excited to read When You Wish Upon a Lantern, especially after Gloria Chow shared the cute little tidbit about the characters playing charades in their family's store windows. If you would like to pre-order When You Wish Upon a Lantern when it comes out on February 14th, the link is in the description below. If you would like to check out Gloria Chow's other books at the library, which you should, the links will be in the description below. I will also be including links where you can purchase Gloria Chow's other books, as well as links to all of her social media. Feel free to follow us on Instagram too at keeping.tabs.podcast. 
You can also follow this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you would like to be notified every time we post a new episode. We typically upload once a month. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you with another episode soon. Bye! Bye.